Let's open to Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 1 tonight, or this morning. thought that was a minion running across there, and it was my grandson. Squeak, 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 squeak. He's fine. I think the other minion went that way. Y'all would be sleepy. He's been up forever. Oh, they are both early risers, which is good. Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Now in those days, Hebrews, by disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. The multitude of the disciples, the twelve, summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve Tables, therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to the prayer and the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timian, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you've allowed us to be here today. Lord, we're not here by chance or happenstance. I'm reminded of that daily, that nothing escapes your sight, Lord. You have planned things for us and to be for us to be involved in, and this morning is one of those. So, Lord, as you meet with us, uh, let your Holy Spirit calm our hearts and our minds. Lord, make your word come alive. Let it go forth to accomplish what you want it to accomplish. Father, I pray especially for those that are sitting within the sound of my voice this morning that have never accepted Jesus Christ publicly as their personal Lord and Savior that today would be the day you'd convict them about that and they'd get that right with you. For the other decisions that need to be made, let them be made for your honor and your glory. And as always, Father, we pray that Jesus will be lifted up high in our midst. To him be all glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I want you to think of this early church, the Jerusalem church. I believe this was an exciting time for this church Uh, 6-1 tells us that the disciples were multiplying. See, there was a sweet spirit among that church. Their fellowship could be called divine. They were uh, multiplying. People were being saved. Worship was at a high point. The apostles were doing miracles, just to name a little bit of the stuff that's going on. Most scholars think that in the couple of months since Jesus has risen, they went from 120 disciples to over 20,000. Because when you start adding up how many were saved when Peter preached those two big sermons, that just counts the men only. That doesn't count the families that came. It doesn't count the women and children that came and were saved. And so they had exponential growth. They had the Spirit moving. Uh, The apostles were doing miracles. I mean, it was a wow church. But you think about this. It was an exciting time. But anywhere... That God is at work, 
Satan gets busy opposing God's work. And he had already done that by the time we get to this uh, here. You see, he had started off, Satan had brought persecution against the church. That just made it spread like wildfires, like pouring gas on it. It works that way all over the world. Uh, when they experience persecution, more and more are saved because they see the genuineness of Christianity in the face of persecution. Then he tried to corrupt the church, to defile it, not make it pure, from the inside with a, a fellow named uh, Ananias and a lady named Sapphira, his wife. As they conspired to gain glory for themselves by giving a gift and yet keeping back part of the proceeds. Their guilt was they were wanting to be puffed up and seen in the light of some of the others that had done the same thing. And their guilt was they were lying to the Holy Spirit. And God took care of that. If you read that in Acts 4, they immediately dropped dead. And the church kept growing. Now we come to Satan's third attack. Outside persecution didn't work. Inside uh, rottenness didn't work. So what's he going to do? He tries to get them to fight. Because you see, the dispute says that the complaint came from the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being mm, deliberately, probably, left out of the daily distribution of food. It was a very serious complaint because it was about to, to do it. It's trouble in paradise, you see, because this is something that could have split that Jerusalem church wide open. It's something that could have ruined the reputation of that church. Because I promise you, in any church split, in any church fight, nobody wins. The church loses, the community loses, the world loses. We need to understand that. But you see, I think because they were in the Word and in prayer, they knew what to do. And that gives us a blueprint. You see, following God's direction with problems leads to blessing. Following God's directions to problems leads to blessings. And so let's look at this in a little more detail. The first thing I see is from this first verse, the church had a special ministry need. Now, did you get that? It is a special ministry need. What are the facts? It doesn't amaze me that in such a large, fast-growing church that somebody was going to fall through the cracks. I mean, they were trying to get organized. Now, I want you to look up here, and I want you to understand something. Don't ever be guilty of telling me you don't like organized religion. Okay? Somebody was organized enough to count how many were being saved and baptized. Somebody was organized enough to know how many folks they had to minister to. Somebody was organized enough that they put seven guys in charge of this. It doesn't have to be run by like a, a, like a business because we're not a business. We are a spiritual organism run with spiritual principles. And that's the way we're organized. But if you say you don't like organized religion, then you don't like God because God said let everything but be done decently and in order. Okay? Now, you may not like that most of the time our bulletin is the same and that we know we're going to stand, we're going to sing, we're going to do this, but I'd rather have that than nobody knowing what's going on in total chaos. It's like herding cats most of the time anyway. If you never tried that, try that sometime. But you see, here they are, and evidently these widows, these Hellenistic widows, were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. 
See, the Jews had always been commanded to take care of widows, orphans, and the strangers in their land. Way back, I wanted to read in Deuteronomy, uh, one of those passages, if you're taking notes, Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 21. Here's what God said. Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 21. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather grapes in your vineyard, you start getting the, the hint. You shall not... Glean it again. It'll be for the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. Okay, God wanted those taken care of who were probably at the bottom rung of society. They were probably overlooked a lot of times. They didn't get a lot of justice and mercy. No one was taking care of them. And so God instituted that the most vulnerable in society would be taken care of by his people. Not by the government, by his people. We need to understand that. We need to understand that God's people have always been responsible for taking care of those folks. You see, they're often at the mercy of society. The Apostle Paul went on to tell us that in in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, beginning with verse 3. Because in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3, I promise I'm going to get there. He says, honor widows who are really widows. He says, if any widows have children or grandchildren, let them first show piety at home and run to repay their parents. It's good and accepted before God. Now, she who is really a widow and left alone, trusting God, and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. He goes on and tells us that we're to take care of our families and those who are really widows, we're to take care of them. This church was having a problem. See, the problem is this. The widows that came out of Judaism were especially vulnerable because of this. They no longer were taken care of by the temple and the priests of the temple. They were left on their own. And if they didn't get food, they were going to starve. They had no social programs. Now, it says the Hellenists had a complaint against the Hebrews. Now, let's understand something here. These are all Jewish people. Some are called Hellenists. Some are called Hebrews. Here's the difference. The Hebrews were the natives in the land. They'd been born in that Palestinian area, grew up. They spoke uh, Hebrew and spoke Aramaic, and their Bible was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. Okay? The Hellenists were those Jews of the diaspora whenever God drove them out, and they'd sort of adopted a few of the Greek languages and things. They were still loyal to God, but the problem was they read Greek. And so their Bible was the Greek Septuagint. It was a translation from the Hebrew to the Greek. And because they didn't read Hebrew, because they didn't talk like some of the others in Aramaic, they were looked down upon a little bit. You ever hear that? I've heard it all the time. Yeah, I'm a native up here. I ain't like one of them other folks. I'm glad you're native, but don't talk about them other folks. I air one. Do we understand that? Now, here's my whole point. Okay, these folks were vulnerable because they had nobody to take care of them. But evidently, prejudice had come in and leaked into the church because of the way, especially the Pharisees and the others, were looking down on these Hellenistic Jews. 
And so what they would do, while their food was gathered, they'd make sure the natives got it first, and then everybody else was on their own. Some of you are looking at me sort of mean. What's that about? You see, for me, here's what this means spiritually. When people don't look like us, when they don't sound like us, maybe they don't have the same traditions as us, how do we treat those people? Are they welcome in church? Are they welcome uh, to hang in our group? Are they welcome, or is it a little different, Brother Gary? I've got a newsflash for everybody here. We're all a little different. Some of us are really, really different. But I won't call any names at this point. I think somebody was signaling me that I didn't. Yeah, I turned it on. See, don't let prejudice have a claim. Now, evidently, their claim was true. Because the apostles, when they looked at it, didn't deny it. They just made a plan to do it. You see, one of the biblical principles of church growth is that when the Holy Spirit works, we're to respond. You don't put the Holy Spirit first and you arrange everything and say, God bless this. You see where God is working, as Henry, Henry Black would be said in his work. And that's your invitation to join him. Did you hear that? When you see God working in the ministry area and God reveals that to you, that's your invitation to join him in that work. Now, why am I preaching like this? You see, do we sense, are we sensitive to these kind of folks? You see, our church is growing, praise God. I want to make sure everybody feels welcome and make sure that they feel a part of the family, whether they're new to our family or been here a long time, because I appreciate the natives. They've always treated me very well. Okay? But I appreciate the new folks, too. Here we go. See, we, we need to understand that. And what's happening is this. Our church is growing. Now, I'm not talking bad about my deacons, but some of them are getting older. And they're running out of a little bit of energy, and I agree with that, for myself. Okay? And so we're getting ready to try to elect some deacons. And whether they're natives or new, if they're qualified, you're going to have a chance to nominate some names. In the upcoming weeks, maybe two or three weeks, you're going to be given a sheet of paper with ten lines on it. You can nominate up to ten men. Sorry, ladies. Uh, when it talks about deacons in the New Testament, it's always a male participle for deacon, so that means men. And if you have a problem with that, you can talk to me later, and we'll look at the Greek, and I'll show you. Okay? But you're going to nominate ten men. We'll take those ten men and get the however many we get, top ten prospects, however many names are turned in. The deacons themselves will go through and start interviewing them and see if they, do they feel called to serve, because they have to be called. God's already calling people to do this. Okay, And then, after the interview, whichever ones say they will and they're biblically qualified, will be presented to the church for ordination as deacons of Gasville Baptist Church. And we've got a few men in the church that have served deacons at other times, and they might be asked to come on board if they've been a member here six months, because that's what our bylaws say. So you know what's going on. But you see... As surely as this church is moving in response to ministry needs, what we're trying to do is prepare for the future, for growth and for ministry needs because one or two people can't do it all and we need more help. And if you want to help without being a deacon, volunteer because I'll put you to work. Okay. But that's what they did. 
So what was the result of this complaint? That's the second point. The apostles addressed the need with a specific plan. That's our plan. The apostles addressed the need with a specific plan. Let's look again at at verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, remember, you see the need. You're invited to join the work. That's God's invitation. So, what's the first thing I want you to know about this plan? First of all, biblical church organization always responds to the needs of what the Holy Spirit is already doing. That was a big mouthful, wasn't it? Here's what it is. Whatever we see the Holy Spirit are we doing, we're to address those with the ministry needs that we see. To make sure that what He's doing, we get in on. Because unless the Holy Spirit's doing it, we don't want to be a part of it. Okay? Secondly, organization should always prioritize ministry. What do I mean? Organization should always prioritize ministry. We're not going to organize it to death. We're going to organize it so the priorities of ministry come through for Gasville Baptist Church. Now, here's what I mean. Again, we're not a business. We're a spiritual organism. Okay, and we have organization to minister. Okay, these guys said we can't leave prayer and ministry of the word of God to wait tables. Prayer and the word of God should be the most important ministry we do as Gasville Baptist Church. If you're not involved in the prayer meetings, the prayer times, the prayer chain, you need to get with it. If you're not involved in the ministry of the Word at Gasville Baptist Church, you need to be a part of Sunday school and special Bible studies. Okay? If you don't have a personal Bible study and prayer time, you need to get with it. That should be the priority of a Christian's life. And we need to understand that. That's how we know our God. That's how we care in our relationship. That's how He speaks to our hearts. That's how He prepares us and strengthens us for the problems He sees coming our way in the future that we don't know are coming. Now, it was interesting to me, the word wait tables. It says, diaconus, waiting tables. We always think that means these are the guys serving the food at the tables. Like a big potluck, Right? Do you realize that the wait tables there is the same word for money changers in the temple? So what does that mean? Here's what it means. These guys had to be able to feed these folks, carry the food to these folks, be trusted to carry out the money, carried and distribution of these folks, whatever the needs were, these guys had to be ready. Our deacons do too. They're called on to do so much that you never see in the background. And they do it without pay. They do it uh, just because they love Jesus. They do the best of their abilities. So if you want to complain about a deacon, don't do it to me. I've always had good deacons. I expect to always have good deacons. I've always got along with my deacons. We may not agree on everything, but we're agreeable about it anyway. Okay? Because deacons are important to the church. Y'all should have said amen to that. 
You see, as we get ready, our, our guys have to be able to do these things too. And you need to understand that Satan will do anything to keep us from the ministry of the word and prayer. All these things we have going on, you may not know. So many people with cancer, so many families hurting, so many people that are sick and having surgery, and on and on and on the list goes. Our own secretary down in Houston right now having eye surgery, trying to recover to get her, make sure her eyesight doesn't leave. Okay? And I could just keep going on with the families that are being attacked, whether it's family problems, money problems, health problems, on and on and on. Sometimes I just want to kick a can and scream. But that won't do any good. Where do you think that's coming from? Thank you. Say it again. He'll do anything to stop our church from becoming what God intends for us to become. He'll do anything to take us away from the word and away from prayer. He'll do anything to oppose the work of God in our area. I'm firmly convinced that our church is one of the churches God wants to use for revival in our area. There's too many good things happening. There's too many good people here. We have, we have children and youth that the bigger churches would die for. We're already in position doing that. Not because of me, not because of you, but the Holy Spirit is working. We have faithful teachers in our children's and our team kid and in our youth. Okay? Young families are drawn to that. Our, our nursery workers are good. You want something to grow your church? Man, you better have a good nursery. And you see, as we do these things and as we grow, we need more deacons to help. We really do, but it needs to be the right deacons. Do you hear me? And it means those that are called by God to work here. So they had a plan. It was a specific plan. We do too. This is the start of it. The third thing. When the plan was carried out, it led to blessing. I said it would. When we follow God's plan faithfully, he blesses. See, when the plan of the apostles laid out was carried out, it led to blessings. Look at verses 3 through 7. I love this. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Okay, I hate that word because it's really a ministry. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and the same please the whole multitude. Oh, my goodness, what a business meeting. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, Nacon, Artemis, Parmius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. When they had prayed, they laid hands on them, and the word of God spread. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, when the plan was carried out, blessings came. So what was the plan? First of all, notice the characteristics. It was not based on popularity. Not they're the good old boy, uh-uh. Not just they were good at business. That doesn't hurt, but that's not a qualification. They chose seven. Did you notice that the seven all had Greek names? They're Hellenist. Every one of them is a Greek name. That was the group that was complaining. You're going to do the work. Get a hint. (laughs) 
So what are we? He says, first of all, they're of good reputation. In other words, in the community, in the church, they have a good reputation. They're not known for cheating at business. They're not known for running around on their wife. They're not known for drinking and carrying on. They had a good reputation. Say amen. amen. The second thing, they were full of the Holy Spirit. In other words, they followed the Holy Spirit's leading. The Holy Spirit showed up in their lives, and you could see it. And you say, well, Brother Gary, how can you, how can you say that? How do you know the Holy Spirit showed up in their lives? Because they're full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, what does that mean? Galatians 5, 22 and 23, if you're taking notes. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You get a man that represents those kind of characteristics, everybody takes notice. So they're full of the Holy Spirit. Then they're full of wisdom. Now, there's a false wisdom. And there's a true wisdom. There's a worldly wisdom and a spiritual wisdom. Take uh, note of First First uh, Corinthians three nineteen. First Corinthians three nineteen says this: For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. I get lots of worldly advice. It's not worth a flip for the church. So what is true wisdom? James chapter three verse seventeen. James 3.17 says this, But the wisdom that is from above. Now that's the kind of wisdom we want, right? That's what we're told to ask for. Come on, church, wake up. Let's get some instruction. For the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. You'll know them if they're full of the Spirit. You'll know them if they have godly wisdom. And we'll trust you to nominate them. Did you hear me? Thank you, Kenny. You're already thinking of some, aren't you, Kenny? Yeah, okay, he's ready to eat. What are the results? I think the results are wonderful. Because verse 7 gives us the results of what happened. Because it says the word of God spread. Amen. The number of the disciples multiplied. They're growing again. They're greatly in Jerusalem. They're about to fulfill. Listen. The first part of the Great Commission. They have saturated Jerusalem. Just as Jesus said. They needed a few more folks to help with it. And they're going to start going out to Judea. Samaria. And the uttermost parts of the earth. And it says, not only that, but a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Think about it. The very ones who run the temple. The very ones who are offering the sacrifices. Not the Sanhedrin. Not a bunch of the Pharisees. But the ones who actually do the work. Who are actually trying to serve God. Realize Jesus is the Messiah. They get saved. And now they're a part of the church. Yeah, that was exciting. Be like a bunch of preachers getting saved. Hallelujah. Y'all can say it. See, blessings flowed. There was not a split. There was not a fight. There's no ruin the church's reputation. God's word spread and people got saved. What a blessing. The question is, what about us? What do we want to do? I think we want to follow God. Some this morning to follow God, you need to surrender to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior because you've never done that. Some need to come and join this church. And the way you do that is by baptism, statement, or letter. What does that mean? Well, if you weren't baptized in a church of like faith and order, maybe a church that believed that, that baptism saved you or something of that nature, you're going to have to be dunked again because we don't believe that. 
You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ by repenting of your sins. That's it. Baptism is an outer sign of that. Maybe you need to be baptized and become a member of this church because you know you've accepted Christ as your Savior. Some need to come by letter from another church of like faith and order, another Southern Baptist church or conservative Baptist church that will accept their letter. Some need to come by statement. You just don't know where your letter really is anymore because it's been a long time since you've been to that church where your letter was. and You don't even know if that church is still in existence, but you believe like we do, so we'll accept you by statement after I talk to you a little bit. Some need to come in rededication. God is moving and you still feel stone cold hard. And it's time for God to blow the fire back into your heart. Some need to come surrendering burdens that are keeping you from rejoicing in what God's doing in the church. I don't know what your decision is, but God does. So bow your heads. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to stand and sing a song. Father God, this is your invitation time. It's holy time because you are here. You promised you would be. You've met with us with your word. Now, Lord, let us make the decisions that will honor and glorify your name. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.